Well, good morning, church. He is risen. Amen. Oh, I just got a note. It's just killing me. So the, the red star was on the back of the notes. Who, who, won the, who won the flowers this morning? All right, we got one over here. All right, Debbie won one. There's the, oh, there, two? There's one out there somewhere. I don't know. We might have to go through it. Um, well, hey, I, I'm uh, glad to be here. Glad you're here, whether in person or online, as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And uh, I got a little extra filling this morning. Not from the Spirit, but um, somebody filled the uh, water cooler in the office. And it's kind of like a little game you, we play. You guys probably play this at your office occasionally. Uh, last week, it was really low. And uh, man, on Friday, I was filling my teapot, and I thought I, thought I was going to have to be the one. And in fairness to me, I know I sound like a jerk, but I, I filled it the last two times. I'm sure I did. And, um, and the water was coming out really slowly. And, uh, but I, I got my tea water, and so um, I came in this morning, and I went, woo You know, and I, as I think about that, I'm joking around, but, you know, some of you are coming to church, or you're watching this morning, and you're on low. You're, you're getting to empty, and, and maybe you're still kind of eking it along, but you need to be filled up. And I hope this morning, the reminder of God's love for us in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, will fill you up. And uh, so that's been my prayer. Let's pray and we'll come to God's word this morning. Father God, again, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you for Jesus Christ and the life he lived that we couldn't live. The death that he died that we deserved. And the resurrection that you brought about that seals our hope and security in the kingdom to come. God, my prayer this morning as we talk about the resurrection that people would be challenged to place their faith in you. That they would bow their knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not in just an act of religious celebration, but in absolute surrender to the one who has called us to follow him. So Lord, open up our hearts to what you have to say to us as we uh, dig into this idea of the empty tomb, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you want to follow along uh, in God's Word, we're going to launch off from 1 Corinthians 15. You can, uh, you can turn there. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but that's going to be kind of our, our main text for this morning. Uh, I came across this comic this morning, which, or, or this week, which I really liked, and uh, 364 days, you know, telling the, telling the kids, don't, don't pick up food from the grounds, that kind of stuff. And then one day of the year, hey, let's go out and uh, pick up uh, candy off the dirt that some stranger left for us, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea of Easter. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times you, you see something drop and your, your grandkid is picking it up, or your child's picking it up, and you're like going, no, no. And then, you know, second child, whatever, you're like, go ahead and eat it. I don't care. But um, now we're like hiding candy in the backyard saying, go find it. And so we want to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the message that we give as a church is clear year-round. The resurrection and Jesus conquering death is not a one-time-of-year topic. This is what motivates us and moves us throughout the year. And so our key verse for this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
When Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, he's going to say in a minute, but he has, and here's the, here's the punchline. But coming to church and listening to preaching, it's not going to do you any good. Your faith, if Christ has not been risen, Paul says, is in vain. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Most commentators would say it seems as uh, Paul goes through 1 Corinthians that he's answering questions that the Corinthians have set him. And so he's dealing with a whole bunch of different topics. And it says in uh, verse 12, chapter 15, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Talk about a doctrine that's been going around the early church. They're like, actually, there's, you know, we just live once and die. But let's follow Jesus. And Peter's like, why? Or Paul's like, why? I mean, if that's it, what are we doing here? So he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those of us who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people, to be pitied. Paul's saying, that is crazy talk. But verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when, he, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has, is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. There's um, so many realities of the empty tomb. And as I worked uh, this, this week uh, on this sermon, I started with 10. And I told the guys at staff meeting, I said I was going to preach five. And then I was going to give the other five to the church to look up after, after Easter Sunday, which I know you're not really going to do. But then I narrowed it down to three. So when I say three, please don't hear me like this is it. But here's three realities that we can really camp on this morning. Three realities of the resurrection. 
The first is this. We have the forgiveness of sins. It says in verse 17, as he's saying, if this, then this, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But he goes on to say Christ has been raised. So what does that mean? We're not in our sins. So some of you were here on Good Friday and we, we talked about a theological debate that's going around and tried to really narrow down what it means, what, what uh, penal substitutionary atonement means. And uh, we talked about that on Good Friday. You can go back and listen to that. But here is our definition, penal substitutionary atonement. That is, in G Jesus Christ took the full punishment, that's the penal part, that we deserve, that's the substitution part, for our sin, that's where atonement comes in. And we talked about how we've all sinned. In fact, we're born in sin. Paul mentions Adam here and that death comes through Adam and that's because of sin. And that really, if we're honest, we're steeped in sin. Now, you guys all look nice today and you got your Easter uh, attire on and, and you, you all look wonderful. And so it's pretty hard to convince you of anything less than you're wonderful, but the Bible says that we've all sinned. That we have a sin problem, that we're geared towards sin. That doesn't mean that we're all gonna go out and murder somebody, but it, it does mean that we're bent towards self. And so we have this sin issue. Sin in the Bible simply means to miss the mark. That is the mark of God's perfection. Today's sin is more saying, you know, I don't, I don't even know if there is a mark, Pastor. Who gets to decide who the mark is? You can't tell me I've missed the mark. But if God, in fact, is the creator, then he gets to set the rules. We all deserve punishment, the penal part. And so Jesus took our place, that's our that substitution, and atoned for our sins on the cross. I didn't go too much into a atonement on Good Friday. John 2.2 says this, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The ESV uses a, a more technical word. It uses the word propitiation. And sometimes when you're reading and you come to a word you don't understand, you just kind of go, I don't know. And I, you know, I've been guilty of that sometimes, and especially some of the Old Testament words. But I'll tell you, I in my Bible, I have the definition written off to the side. Because um, it's a major word. A tone is good. That's what the NIV uses for. But what, what uh, John did is he, he took a word from, from modern, his modern day uh, in the temple sacrifices. Not even necessarily in the Hebrew temple sacrifices. Just the, the temples of the day. And a propitiation was a sacrifice that was supposed to appease the wrath of God. So it's a pretty big statement he's making. He is saying that Jesus' sacrifice is a propitiation. It, it, it deals with his wrath. And so the word atone is about this, this sin issue that we have that Jesus covers for us in his death. So let me read it again. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also the sins of the world. Now, first result, of the empty tomb, hear this, is that 
your sins can be forgiven in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then what does it matter? The resurrection and the cross are essentially tied together. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. If Christ paid the price for our sins, that's good news. But then he did not raise from the dead, then we just die with a clear conscience. But Jesus did raise from the dead. And we don't just have forgiveness of sin. But he goes on to say, we have new life. We have new life. And I, this, is, this is the theme of the resurrection. This is, this is what we came to hear. We have new life. In fact, we describe this new life in many different ways uh, in the New Testament. There's different phrases that are used. And so we could make these separate points, but I'm just putting them all under new life here. But we have, we've been born again. We've been born again. Now, some of you, as I look out here, just the ones I can see, not the ones that I can see online, but some of you need to be born again. Okay, getting to the opposite end of that, right? Now, this was actually came from a conversation that Jesus had with a religious leader. And his name was Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, from Israel's point of view, the kingdom of God meant so much. It meant Israel's freedom. It meant God's presence. It meant freedom from war and famine and disease and we want the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus is like, how do we get there? When, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says, unless you've been born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And some of you, we're familiar with this idea. And born again is, is kind of a, a phrase. We even use it on uh, polls and stuff. Do you identify as a born again believer? And so this is where it comes from. But Nicodemus's response, honestly, in a conversation it's not really that different than you and I if we were having a conversation with Jesus. That sounds a little ridiculous. That's crazy. That's not possible. However, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes new life possible. Peter wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been made alive. It's the way that Paul said it in our text for today. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone, when we repent of our sins and follow him, we're born again. Another way of saying that is, and, and probably my favorite is, uh, we, are, we are a new creation. Okay, just because born again is a little, that's a little bit, I don't you know, want to go down that line of thinking so much. I understand the imagery, but new creation. Man, haven't you ever just wondered, you know, when you've you got a pain, you got an ache, you're getting older, is Jesus, just touch me and make it all better. You know, let's just reverse this. And there is an aspect of, of new creation. Listen, if you're a follower, of, listen to this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. Turn to the person next to you 
and say, I'm a new creation. It's true. Probably one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you say, I feel, I feel the old. Look, the physical is to come. But if you are in Christ, spiritually, God is making you new. Relationally, with the Father, he is making you new. There is something supernatural happening in you as a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you are in Christ, there is a miracle working in you right now because you are being made new. Which gives us a new purpose. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation. We have something new. We have life. We have been born again. If you're here, if you're listening, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't want you to see that as you have crossed the finish line. God has saved you, and he has made you new for a purpose. And that purpose is not to fill a pew. That purpose, Paul states clearly, is to be an ambassador of the new kingdom. You represent it. You have a ministry. People say, I don't know what my ministry is in the church. You have a ministry of reconciliation. I don't care if you work with children or youth or seniors, if you're in a small group. You have the ministry of reconciliation to help people reconcile with God and to help the body of Christ reconcile with one another. Because if we can't do it here, church, if we can't reconcile with one another, we're not going to help people reconcile with God. What I preach to you this morning is the message of reconciliation. Not an individual salvation, although that is available to each one today, but a reconciliation of God's creation to himself for all who repent and believe. You're a new creation. And one of the things that we like to emphasize here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church is that because we are new creations, we have a new identity. We have a new identity. I was just watching the news last night. If you guys remember, and you can start panicking about this, remember when we were all supposed to get new driver's license so that we can fly, and then a pandemic ha happened, and then they stretched it out. Well, we're reaching the deadlines again, apparently, for this new uh, identity that we need to have, identification card. And uh, that's great. And as somebody who went to the DMV recently, I think we're all in a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, most of you probably aren't flying anyway, but if you want to go anywhere, just so you know, you probably can't. We all need new identities. And unfortunately, we're trusting the government for it. But in Christ, we have a new identity. 
We have passed from death to life, and our new life has new purposes, new identities, and new realities. One of my favorite things to do with taking somebody who has just kind of come to Christ or somebody who's been in the church for a while and struggling, and I just say, let's just read Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just, just, just read it. And all the way through chapter 2, Paul keeps telling us who we are in Christ now. And, and I love that because we, we struggle sometimes with who we are. We live in guilt or we identify with this or that. And we, we find hope in it. We find connection with it. And then it lets us down. And, and when we look at God's word, I'm just going to do some of this just real briefly because I just, I just love this stuff. But even in the greetings, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And I do this with my students all the time and different people. I say, can you just read this for me? And they'll read it, you know, to the saints who are in Ephesus. I say, stop. To who? To the saints. Do you think the people in Ephesus acted like saints all the time? Hint, as a pastor, I can tell you they didn't. No. But who does, who does Paul say they are? Saints. Why do you think Paul says that? Because that's how God sees them. All right, keep reading. Uh, to all the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, stop. To the, they were what? Faithful. I, I, this is, I love this question too. Do you think the people in Ephesus we're faithful all the time. How does God see them? You see, your identity is not how you see yourself. Your identity is not how others see you. Your identity is how God sees you. And we can keep going through this, and, and I, I encourage you to go home and read that. But I was jumping into chapter 2 where it says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which, which he loved us. I love that. The, does God love you? Man, he just, he, he had to say it twice in the same sentence. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him. You've been raised up, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. There's workmanship. Listen, if you are in Christ, listen. you are God's art piece. Now, some of you out here are parents and grandparents, so you can relate to this. I have some art on my refrigerator that would not hang in a museum on its own. In fact, one of them that's still there. In November, when our dog passed, my granddaughter wrote me a sympathy card. I might have to take it down because it still makes me get teary-eyed when I see it. It looks nothing like the dog looked. <laughs> so you know. I like me in it because I'm pretty thin. It's very stick figure-esque. 
you know what? You don't have to be perfect to appear on God's refrigerator. Because in Christ, he has made you perfect. And he has made you a work of art. And he is proud to display you. And I want to say that to you this morning because some of you don't feel like God loves you in that way. Some of you struggle with how God must think of you. Some of you struggle to see yourself as special. But I want to say it again. If God has a refrigerator, your picture is on it. Because you are his workmanship. We have a new identity. We've been saved from our sins. We have forgiveness of sins. We have new life. We've been born again. And the third reality of the resurrection is we have a living God and Savior. Um, We don't go to the tomb of Jesus because he's not there. The tomb is empty. I've been to uh, Israel one time and walked through Jerusalem, and there's a few different sites that they believe might have been the tomb of Jesus. We don't, we don't know. It's, it's been a while. One of them, they built a huge church over. And uh, you can reach in a hole, you know, and touch a rock. But there's a place that they found. It's called the garden tomb. Man purchased it. And in his purchase, it, it is forever to be used for this purpose. And it may just serve as an example of what a tomb in that day may have looked like, a place where you can go. But they found an empty tomb. And I'll tell you, you know, when I went to Israel, I don't, I don't like the big ornate churches where you stick your hand in a hole to touch a rock. That didn't do anything for me. But sitting in that garden tomb, I thought to myself, and I know Frank thought the same thing, wouldn't it be just like God to leave this tomb empty for all. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be, I, mean, I don't know, get to heaven? Was that the word tomb? God may say no, but for me, it was, just a, it was a great experience. Took communion there. We don't go to visit the tomb of Jesus because he's not in it. And so Paul says here in verse 20, that Christ, as being risen from the dead, is the first fruits of those who have died in faith. Now, we don't use that term, first fruits, that often. In fact, uh, Spellcheck didn't like it and wanted me to change it, but it, it, it's correct, first fruits. And it, it's an Old Testament term, and the idea is that the first harvest you give to God, the first part, okay, we talk about tithing and different things, it comes from this principle is the first stuff you give to God, and then you you got to think about this as a farmer type of thing. If you give the first, you've got to depend on a second harvest. And so the idea is not just giving to God your best, although that's part of it, but it's trusting in God for the rest. And here it says, Christ is the first fruits. It's first given to God, and we're trusting for the rest, which Paul says is us in faith. He also says, therefore, this is securing our own resurrection from the dead. It secures our own resurrection from the dead. Paul says here in verse 20, let me just read it again. 
But if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, look, those of us who, who, have, those who have already died, they're going, to be, they're going to be the next harvest here. And so, therefore, it's securing the resurrection from those who have passed. And as I look out of here, that's giving so many of us in this church hope, right? Because we know that those whom we love and lived life with, we will see again in Christ. In another place, Paul says, um, sorry, let me fix my notes here. In another place, he says, knowing that he was raised, uh, knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus, will raise also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Knowing that Jesus, we're, we're going with him. So Christ is the first fruit. It secures our own resurrection. And God is giving all the authority to Jesus Christ. And I, and I read the whole passage there. I don't want to go back over it. But, but Paul goes through this whole thing about what has been put under his feet. And if it's been put under his feet by God, it's still under God's authority. But all this stuff is now coming under God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, their authority, because Christ has risen from the dead. Here's a, another verse that just kind of gets us thinking a little bit. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Let me just say this. As you're doing your Bible reading, just start noting the references to the resurrection. It doesn't say resurrection here, but it says who was raised. So what is the result of that? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus' life gives us freedom through faith in him from condemnation. Look, if you are in Christ, if you've repented and you're following him, we can live without fear of the life to come. It doesn't mean that we just skate and do nothing, but we know what has been secured for us. And some of the songs we sang this morning, just use great language to describe that. And again, Jesus is in a place of authority. He's at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? See, here's where you would think God is raised from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of God and he is waiting to thump you. No, it's not what it says. Christ is risen from the dead. He's at the right hand of God and he is praying for you. He is interceding for you. He's saying, Father, look at our children. They're struggling. Let's help them. He's on your team. Because the tomb is empty, you have forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the tomb is empty, you have new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the tomb is empty, you have security in what is to come because our Savior is alive and interceding on our part. And the application this morning, if you're here this morning and, and you're running on empty and you've not bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness of sin, I would just encourage you to receive him. 
This point will bring you to a place of repentance, of acknowledging your sin, and that you can't do it on your own. But it'll also bring you to a place of praise for what he's done. When we really recognize that we can't do it ourselves and he's done it for us, it does bring us to repent for our sin, but it also brings us to a thank you. Thank you that you did this for me. If you're here or you're listening today and, and you've, you've followed Jesus Christ, you've bowed your knees, you've, you've repented, then today should cause you to reflect on what Christ has done for you. And you know what? It brings up the same two points. It first brings us to a place of praise. If you've already done that, you, the best part of the service for you probably was singing the songs, being reminded of Christ's resurrection, that the tomb is empty, and we just get to praise him for it. And that's just wonderful. But when we really think about what Christ has done, it also brings us to repentance. It reminds us of how many times we want to put Christ back on the cross. You know, I, you've been reconciled to Jesus. And church, I would just invite you to embrace the ministry that God has given you. A ministry of reconciliation. For God so loved you that he did something about it. And so our love for God calls us to want to just say, he is risen, but not just today. He has saved me, but not just today. He is changing me, but not just today. The cross and the empty tomb are for every day for a follower of Jesus. It motivates us to be who he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that those who place your, their faith in you and have repented of their sin are born again. We thank you that we, you are giving us new life, a new identity, a new purpose. God, help us to see ourselves for the way you see us. God, thank you that, you that we are praying to a living God, a living Savior, a reigning God. And Lord, help us to follow you. I pray that if there's anyone here watching that has questions about being a follower of Jesus, Lord, that you would just prompt them to seek out what it means to confess sin and believe in Jesus. That today they might be able to say, I've been born again. I'm receiving new life, eternal life. That's why you've placed us here. And that's what we want to be about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.